I wanted to start by telling you guys a story. Um, I recently reconnected with a former student of mine from when I did student ministry. We happened to be in the same city at the same time. And so I reached out to her. We met up for coffee. Um, and it was really an interesting experience because as we sat, sat down at a table across from each other, I could tell immediately that there was something wrong. Like there was something hanging thick in the air and we weren't connecting like I expected us to. That there was something that she wanted to say, but she didn't want to tell me. You know that feeling? You know they want to say something, but they don't want to tell you? And so we just, like, it, this thick fog lingered like this barrier between us during the beginning of the conversation, and eventually, and I just tread real lightly, and eventually it moved its way to the surface of the conversation, and what it was was she wanted, she wanted to tell me that she wasn't going to church anymore. In fact, she didn't really know that she believed any of the stuff anymore. Now, guys, this was one of the students that was on fire for Jesus when we were in our youth ministry. She led Bible studies. She was at every uh, mission project, outreach project. She was a passionate uh, worshiper and prayer warrior, journaled, read her Bible, all the things. And she just was like, I don't know that I believe any of it anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. And I just asked, like, tell me about that experience. Like, what led you to that place? And she told a story where she sort of explained that everyone that she had encountered in the church was really just full of hate and judgment. She told me these stories about some pretty blatant prejudice that she had experienced as a single Latino woman. And she even told some stories about some spiritual and emotional abuse that she had experienced. And ultimately, all the stories sort of boiled down that there were people that were in power that took advantage of their authority in order to hurt others to gain their own pleasure and keep themselves in power. And as she told me, it was really clear that she held so much shame for leaving the church. And I think that she feared that in telling me this, that I would be upset with her, that I would judge her as well. And in that moment, what I said to her was, oh my gosh, that sounds awful. I'm really, really glad that you left. I'm sure it took a lot of courage to step out of that. And honestly, I would have left that version of church and that version of God too. And in that moment, there was this huge weight that just fell off of her and sort of was swept out of the room. And then in that moment, there was then this freedom for the two of us to connect together that hadn't been there before. And in connecting, I found out some of the things that were happening in her life, some of the joys she was experiencing. And she listened to what was happening in mine and some of the joys that were happening in my life. And as I reflect on that meeting that happened several months ago, I realized that in the context of this sermon series that we're in, that nothing she shared with me about her experience of the, her recent experience of the church and of God, nothing about it sounded like good news. And it just makes me think, was it good? Was it good news? Now, we're in the middle of this series that we're calling It's Really Good News. 
And uh, we talked about last week about how the chances were that if you grew up in the church, a lot of the main debate about Christianity was summed up in the question of, is it true? Is it true? But oftentimes now the question is no longer, is it true? The question that we really wrestle with that gets debated most often is, is it good? If I can't live my life and be myself, and if it means that there are groups of people that are excluded and hated and judged, then it can't possibly really be good news. And when we hear good, when we hear news that is not good, our natural response is to hope that it is not true. It doesn't matter if it's related to our health or our family or our jobs or our communities. When we hear news that isn't good, we don't want it to be true. But when we hear news that is good, we hope beyond all hope that it absolutely is true. And so if the message of Jesus is good, here's the question. Why are people running away from it? If the message that is proclaimed in churches are good, why are unprecedented numbers of people leaving the church like never before? If the message of Jesus is good, why don't people lean in? Why don't they hope that it's true? Why is it that there are versions of our faith that are so ungood that people are desperate to get away from it? And they're scared to tell people that love them that they left it. What happened to the good news? And here's the answer. I think we happened. And we happened to the good news. We have Americanized the good news, we have politicized it, we have um, to borrow a word and make a new one, we have uh, 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 prosperitized the good news, we have anti-intellectualized the good news, we have internalized the good news, and what I mean by that is we've sort of reduced it into um, this set of beliefs that you agree to logically as fire insurance for the afterlife. And we've done this all to serve our own purposes, not God's purposes, our own. Now, here's an example of what it is that I mean by this. And this is just one example of hundreds, maybe millions, that have happened in the way that, that this has gotten played out. In 1807, there was a publication of a book that was called the Slave Bible. I just learned about this not too long ago. The Slave Bible was published by the Society for Conversion of the Slaves of the West Indies. And the whole goal of the Slave Bible was to convert slaves. It sounds like a good idea, except for the fact that when they published the Slave Bible, they wanted to remove any sort of passages of scripture or any themes or ideas that undermined the legitimacy of slavery. And so the Bible that is actually like 1,100 chapters was reduced to about 300 chapters. Like they just picked and choose and took out anything. So the, basically the big story of Exodus, gone. Almost everything about the Hebrew people being slaves who are wandering in a wilderness until they receive a promised land, gone. All of it. This book that had been compiled was no longer about good news. It was about the control and assimilation and behavior modification of a group of people they wanted to keep undermined. It was to convert them to obedience and continued enslavement 
It was not about good news at all. In fact, one of the verses that was taken out was a verse that was written by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. It says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. That doesn't uphold their value system. And so that was removed. That was removed. See, the slave Bible was good news for the slave owners, but it wasn't good news for the slaves. And here's the thing. If your good news isn't good news for everybody in this category that Paul has named here, if it's not good news for slave and free, if it's not good news for male and female, then it's not good news. If it's not good news for your sister and your brother, if it's not good news for your ex-wife and ex-husband, if it's not good news for your uncle or your imprisoned neighbor, then it is not the original version that Jesus brought. Paul is basically saying in this passage, like, if you, you have never met anyone for whom the good news is not good news. Now, the slave Bible is just one of, of hundreds of examples of how we've messed up the good news. But one of the ways that we most commonly mess up the good news is we turn the good news into good advice, right? The good news is something that tells people about a historic sal- salvi- salvific salvation event that has happened in the past that has been accomplished and it is done it is clear breaking news this thing happened but oftentimes we turn it into like good advice and we say no here are some rules and regulations with how which you should live your life how it is you should go forth from this people from this place Good news causes us to respond with joy because our lives have been changed. But good advice leaves us in the exact same place we were before, but trying to get somewhere different. And that's not good news. David Lloyd-Jones actually um, once gave this illustration to to sort of um, uh, tell about this point and make it really clear the difference between good news and what we often sell as counterfeit good advice. Right? He says this, he tells a story about a king who went into battle to defend his lands, to protect his people. Right? So you imagine what that's going to look like. He's going to get up his army. He's going to go forward from the place. He's going to try to defend from the invaders. Now, he says if the king defeats the invading army, he will send back an envoy, a messenger. He'll send them back to the people that he was protecting. And the messenger will say, good news. The enemy has been defeated. It's done. Rejoice and respond with joy. Celebrate. Conduct your lives in peace. You now have abundant life that's not going to end because of this enemy. It's been achieved for you. Make sure everybody knows about it, right? But if, let's say the invaders break through the king's ranks, the king is going to send an envoy back to deliver a totally different set of news, a different message to them. 
He's going to say, listen, the army is upon us. Marksmen, go over there. Swords over there. Fight for your lives. Make sure that everyone knows this is the battle of our lives. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones says that every other religion is a message that sends a military advice to the people telling them what to do. If you want salvation, fight for your lives. Here are your rights. Over there, your rituals. Here is your laws and regulations. Good works over there, marksmen over here, fight for your lives, right? Now, in both cases, people respond to the king, right? The king sends a message and the people respond to it. The people who have just been saved, they are going to keep communication with the king. They're going to obey the king and they're going to please the king. But the people who are fighting for their lives, they are also going to keep communication with the king. They are going to obey the king and they are going to please the king, right? Two very different situations, very similar looking actions, but radically different responses. One is coming out of joy. Yes, we've been saved. One is coming out of fear. Oh my gosh. If I don't do this, someone's going to take my life, right? They have the same shadow, but they're radically different. In fact, the further you get out, the more different they become. One leads to burnout and self-righteousness and guilt and making sure that at least someone else is a slower runner than you. And the other one leads to life and joy, and deliverance, and freedom, and fullness, and it leads to becoming the personification of the good news that has happened. You go to everyone, and you tell them, good news, we've been saved. Now, when Jesus talks about what would characterize his followers, he didn't say that they would be known for their good advice, or even their good beliefs, or correct beliefs even. But, he said that they would be known for the way that they treated others, for the way that they loved others, for the way that they were good news to everyone that they met. And so Jesus had his followers, when they were gathered together on a hillside, Jesus actually told them, he said this, he said, you, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to love the way that I love, if we maintain the original version of good news, let me tell you what this is going to look like. You are going to be the light of the world. Like if we do this thing the way that I meant for this to be done, we hold on to the good news and you follow me, you love like you're supposed to love all the time, you're going to be the light of the world, Right? You will be this beacon that is a light of the world. It will be like a light that came on when you stepped in the room that all of a sudden I see myself differently. You see yourself differently. We see the places that we live differently. We see our enemies differently. We see our responsibilities differently. Everything is different because you're the light of the world. And then Jesus continues, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, that they may see something. They may see your good deeds, not that they come from good advice, but good news that has been done for us because we have been saved. 
And when they see the good deeds that you're doing because of that good news, they look up and they glorify your father in heaven that they realize that it's ultimately coming from a good father. Because you may be the only version of the good news that they ever come in contact with. In other words, you and I, because we've heard the good news, we're supposed to be the personification of this good news. Now, going back to Paul, when we first meet him in the book of Acts, he had lived his life under the direction of good advice. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Make sure other people don't do those things either. His entire job was to make sure that everybody lived under this good advice. And so when Paul encountered the good news of Jesus, he didn't think that it was good news because his power and his position actually came from following all of the good advice and making sure everybody else followed the good advice too. And those that get power from making sure everybody follows good advice, they have the most difficult time accepting the good news. And so Paul, when we meet him, is this violent activist that's sort of determined to squash the movement of Jesus' followers. And it was called the way, and he just wanted it out of the way, and he wanted it out of business. And Paul, in the course of his journey, he runs into this power grid that is God's grace and his mercy. And when he understands what the real meaning of the good news is, his life is totally and completely transformed. He lays down all of his violent, coercive, fear-driven advice. And he becomes this activist, this apostle, this missionary that delivers the good news of Jesus to everybody. In one of his later letters, this guy who had previously built his life on good advice, he now writes, listen, the only thing that matters like let go of all what kind of things you should eat or not eat or how you should dress or how you should wait. He says, the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. That's crazy. And he gave his life to tell the world, specifically the Gentiles, this group of people that he had totally excluded and written off from anything that God had available to anybody. He goes to this group and he gives his life to telling them about the good news that they were loved, that they were accepted, that this is for them. And in the process, Paul becomes a better man for himself and for everyone around him so that everyone he meets, when they encounter him, they're like, I just met some good news. And then he writes these letters to the first century Christians. There's a particular one that I want to look at that he writes to um, a city in Greece called Philippi. And I'm going to read it, and it's in chapter 2 if you want to open your Bibles or your Bible app to that. But as we do, I want you to really think, what if, what we read in this passage, what if... This actually characterizes every Christian in our church. What if what Paul says here actually characterized every Christian in our community, in Montgomery County, in the world? How, how would the places that we live, work, and play 
be different. Right? So let's read it together. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and what Paul means by this is he's saying, now that you've entered into this new kingdom, now that you have awakened and realized what Christ has done for you, that the king has conquered the army, that you have been saved, that you are now in this kingdom place with Christ. If there's anything encouraging about that, then if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if there's anything about following Jesus that has come your way that is good, then I want you to do me a favor. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Paul's saying, I want people to see something unique about your relationships. Allow the good that comes into your life to sort of overflow into these different relationships. It isn't just about what you believe about a new kingdom and a God. It's about what we do. It's about how we treat each other. It's about how we're going to do this going forward. It's about how we love. And so Paul goes, first, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Could you imagine if Christians actually lived that way? Wouldn't you want to work for someone that did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Oh, that'd be good news. Wouldn't you want people to work for you who did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Wouldn't you, don't you wish that your father was this way? Aren't you glad that your father was this way? Don't you wish that your spouse was this way? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. What he's saying is not others are more valuable than you, but you are to treat them as if they are more valuable. Why? Because that's at the core of the gospel. That's at the core of the good news. For God so loved the world, God so valued you and the whole world that he put it above himself and he sent his son. He's not saying you're more valuable than his son. What he's saying is he's treating you as if you were. And that's the good news. Now live your life in such a way that you embody what God has done for you. That you would then look to others and value them more than yourself, just like God did with himself. That's good news. And so Paul continues. He said, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Why? Because that's what Christ did for you. This is how you are going to treat people. Which people? All people. All people. Whether they deserve it or not, all the more if they don't deserve it. Because that's what Christ did for you. Paul continues, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Which relationships? 
The ones that are easy? No. All relationships with your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, with the people you like, with the people you don't like, with the people you really, really, really don't like, but you don't say hate because you're a Christian. Why? Because when you have the same mindset as Christ, you will do what is best for them. You will put them first. You will place them, you will place yourself under their burden rather than placing them under your burden. Why? Because that's what Christ did for you. You in those relationships, you don't power up. You step down. And that's a really strange thing according to the world, but that's the value system of the kingdom of God. And that is good news. I think about that idea of powering up. There was this altercation that me and my daughter had this week. And she just like, I was, it was real simple. Like, hey, like, we're going to clean our room. This is not rocket science. We do this often. We're cleaning our room. No! <laughs> she powered up. Power up, right? I, as a parent, I power up too. And in this escalating tension, I realized, whoa, we are powering up right now. I'm using the mom card. I'm using all the mom words and the mom volume. <sighs> Jesus never powered up. It's not that he wasn't firm. <laughs> but he made himself nothing. Paul continues, he says, talking about Christ, he says, who being the in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus lived among weaklings, right? We, compared to him, weaklings. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you bench press. You are a weakling compared to Jesus. And he was ridiculed by us. He was beaten. He was misunderstood. And yet Jesus never powered up. He used his power and his influence for the benefit of those who had no power and who had no influence. For communities and people groups around the world, there is no better news than this. And if you have a father like this, you're grateful for him. If this describes the mother you want to become, future generations will be grateful for you. If this is the one idea that families and coworkers and people could grab onto, it would change the course of future generations. This would be good for the whole world. Paul's saying, instead of powering up, he says, rather he made himself nothing. He stepped into the first century world and became the son of nobodies in a backwater town with no resources and no credentials. And then by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And here's the part that we will never actually know what this means because we'll only ever see it in paintings and we'll never see it in real life and we'll never smell it and we'll never hear the cries of anguish, even death on a cross. 
And this is the moment where God became the most glorified. And it was the moment that for us would have been the most, we would have been the most horrified. He was a king who came to change and reverse everything. And then Jesus invites us to follow him. Now here's the deal. Imagine for a second if global powers did this. If kings and queens did this. If politicians did this. But also, if every regular, everyday people embraced this one idea, how much good would that do? How much good would that bring? So is the good news good news? Yeah. It's really good news. But here's the question that we have to answer. Am I good news? Are you good news? Are we good news of great joy for all people? Or are we just good news for the people that we like or are like us? Now, I want to get really specific in terms of like what this means and what this looks like because Paul gets really specific about what it looks like. Paul continues in chapter 2. He says, listen, if you are the followers of Christ, you have a role to play in all of this in terms of being good news. This is what this is going to look like for you to be good news. He says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is what uh, Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to try to move in you and it's going to hurt a little. And it's going to be a little hard and he's going to try to like squeeze salvation out of you, right? Don't get in the Holy Spirit's way. Don't block him from doing the things that he's going to do. So if you feel like the Holy Spirit is moving and it's going to cause you to cry, cry. If the Holy Spirit is moving and it's going to cause you to start giving, give. If the Holy Spirit is moving and it's going to cause you to try to change something, you feel like he's changing something, go with it. Go with it. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and much trembling. Allow God to squeeze out of you everything that is associated with your salvation. He's bringing you life. Paul continues, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now notice that right there. At the beginning we talked about how things get manipulated and changed for our purpose, Paul says this, this is for God's good purpose. And what is God's good purpose? So that the world will know that there's a God who loves them like a good father, that Jesus has come to absorb all of the violence and all of the injustice and then has created a way forward. He set up this new kingdom that's not based on fearful action where we don't have to, where we have to fight for our lives, but one where our heart rules because our heart has become in sync with the heart of the Father of God. Is that good? Yes. It changes everything from the inside out. And when we do this, good things happen all around us. We begin to see the kingdom 
all around us. And so Paul continues. He says, listen, so this is what you're going to do. You're going to do everything without grumbling. It'll come back. You're going to do everything without grumbling so that you may become blameless. Now, notice that Paul doesn't use the word perfect. Nah. He doesn't care about perfection. Blameless. And what is blameless? Blameless means, you, you, it doesn't mean perfect. It means blameless people still mess up. But when they mess up, they find people. They find the people that they harmed and they apologize immediately. They don't walk around with this chip on their shoulder like, mm, but, I, but they don't see that I really did whatever. No. Blameless people find those they've wronged and they confess it. And that is good news, way better news than perfect people. And Paul continues, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God, like father, like son, without fault in a warped, what's in it for me generation. And then this is this amazing news. Paul, remembering the teachings of Jesus, when Jesus told them, hey, if you follow me and you live out this, you're going um, to be a city on a hill. You're going to be the light of the world. Paul, in remembering that Jesus says, he concludes this passage this way. He says, then, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will stand in contrast to the selfishness of the kingdoms of this world. Like, imagine that. This is the invitation that we have been invited to. And that's really, really good, good news. And so I'm just going to ask you guys a question. Are you good news? Are you good news in the places where you go to school? Are you good news in the places where you work? Are you good news in your own houses? Or when you walk in, is everyone like, oh, I wish they weren't home yet. Are you good news to your friends? Are you good news in the neighborhood? Because good news becomes good news when I'm good news. And good news becomes bad news when I'm bad news. And good news becomes good news when you're good news. But good news becomes bad news when you're bad news. But if good news lives inside of us, shouldn't be there be something about us that is good news for the whole world? I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to sing this song. And this song is called New Wine. And one of the things that's interesting about this song is it's recognizing talks about how um, asking God to make new wine out of us. And it talks about this process of pressing and crushing. But that's how God makes new wine out of us. And as we were um, looking at the different songs that we could respond with, this one came to mind for me immediately. Because of that thing that Paul says where he says, nothing else matters but working out our faith in love. That asking that God would work out our salvation in us. And so I invite you that as we respond with this song, I'm going to invite you to just allow the, invite the Holy Spirit to search you. Like, is there anything in you that, that maybe you're holding on to that's actually 
been bad news for other people. That maybe even though you believe the good news of Jesus, your expression of what that has looked like for others maybe hasn't been so good. And that you would invite the Holy Spirit to begin to work in you, to work out that salvation, to transform you, not with a new set of rules and regulations that you have to add on, but something that would transform you from the inside out so that you and I can represent our good Father with the good news he is calling us to live out. Would you stand with us and I'll pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for your good news. I'm grateful that it is not a fight for your life scenario, but that you are doing something inside of our hearts. And in those spaces where we still have questions, where we're like, well, wait a second, I don't know what this means for this or how this works out or how, what's the implications for this area. And I'm so grateful that we just, we get to submit to you and we get to wait as you work out this good news and this salvation in our lives so that we can just move forward to love the way that you love and trust you with all the rest of it. Father, we want to be good news people. I know that there's not many people in this room but I also know that you didn't start out with many followers, but they were so convicted, so transformed by the good news that was you, that it caught like wildfire. And so Father God, I just pray that we who are here would be that type of good news, that people would lean in that it would be irresistible because ultimately we want people to know that they're saved, that you have rescued them. And we want to every day live in the joy that you have rescued us. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.